I saw her, she was in the kitchen. So if you're in the kitchen with Maxine, bring her out. Oh, there she is. Maxine, would you come up here, please? Maxine, you're not in your usual spot. You're supposed to be sitting over there. Why am I doing this? Not, it's not nice to point. Oh. Um, a few minutes ago, we had the opportunity to thank Sam for his service in our church. Um, I don't know how many of you are aware how much this lady does in our church family, but it is tremendous. She recently retired from one of her 18 jobs in our church. Um, she has handed off the mantle of their the health ministries group to Yesenia Mock. But we wanted to make sure that we thanked her for all of her work. Um, for the last oh, two decades, she has been a core to this congregation. When I first came to this church and I still had hair, she was my head elder. <laughs> and we were, we were very much a, a, a team in those early days. And she was always a blessing, and she, as she remains so today. And so these flowers here, we... Um, we just wanted to get you a little bouquet to tell you we loved you. Thank you. Ben. And so you have to take carry this all the way back. It's got water and everything, so it's nice and heavy. And this is just our thank you. <laughs> thank you very I once told Maxine that um, I don't know if this church could survive without her. I do believe it's still true. Pastor Greg and I have been talking about Ecclesiastes for the last several weeks. And as you know, Ecclesiastes isn't always the most uplifting book in the scriptures. Um, but we talked about it, uh, particularly as it relates to the legacy Solomon is leaving. Somebody's car's alarm is going off and being a little ADD, it's going to drive me nuts. So <clears throat> if it's yours, just sneak out or press that little button. So everybody's now turning the car alarms on. Okay, back to the topic at hand. As you know, Solomon has been has been telling us in this book about his life, about what he's been doing. He's kind of a public journal of his experience, ups and downs, things he's chosen, things he shouldn't have done. He keeps just being very revelatory of who he is. And in the first half of the book, up to about uh, chapter seven, he spends a lot of time on the word vanity, 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 all is vanity, spends a lot of time emphasizing that. From seven on, he sort of drops off the amount of times that he talks about these things being vain and these things being fruitless, and he moves into a little bit more Proverbs, presentation of Proverbs, and advice. He begins to actually start talking about the application of wisdom and the application of life, how you might live wise, um, how you might be able to use the wisdom that he has been given from God in your own walk, in your own experience. And that's kind of where we are today. I wanted to take you to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5, just to remind you that the kind of wisdom we're talking about isn't human wisdom. It's not human wisdom 
for, for you to understand the things of God. It requires divine intervention for us to truly understand what God is about. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5, and I just, this is just a snippet from an entire segment of 1 Corinthians 2 that's discussing the topic of God's wisdom versus man's wisdom. That your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. That your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. We spend a lot of time uh, defending our faith in Christianity, Right? describing how it's true in the Bible, describing how it's true in archaeology and science and all those other things. And I think those things are very helpful. We need a nail on the wall to hang our faith on. We need the ability to say, hey, this is foundationally true and proven across, without a doubt, across all the aspects of history and science and biology and whatever. And, and we hang our faith on those things. But you cannot, you cannot prove God scientifically. You cannot prove the things or the activities of God scientifically. You just can't do it. You can't form this opinion, then develop in that, from that opinion an idea of, of how things work, and then investigate that, that, and then experiment on that and prove that. You just, it's not a process that fits who God is. There's evidence for your faith, but there's not proof of your faith. Okay? Not if you agree. Okay, because if there was proof, it would no longer be faith, because faith is a leap of your heart to believe what is beyond your reach. Okay, so we're talking about wisdom that comes from God beyond our reach. We're talking about wisdom that isn't easy to attain. It's not wisdom you can get from a book. It's not wisdom you can get from science. It's not wisdom you can get from college. You can't get a course online to get this. Okay, this is something that grows as you begin your walk with God. And as God begins to bestow his spirit on you, that wisdom of his heart in your heart begins to spread, begins to broaden. You begin to understand. Okay, I'd like to use this definition for you for today. Wisdom is a broadened horizon. Wisdom is a broadened horizon. Horizon. Come back to that in a little bit, but I want to just start with it there. Solomon says for us over and over again in this book, seize the day, carpe diem, seize the day. There's nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and to tell himself that, that his labor is good. This also I have seen that it is from the hand of who? God. It's from the hand of God. Who can eat and who can have enjoyment without him without God. He's saying the core of joy in your life, the experience of your daily joy and, and the, even just enjoying your food and your labor is bound up in your relationship with God. If you're going to truly find joy in your life, joy in your work, joy in your meals, joy in your experience day to day, you need to have that connection with God that gives it the next thing, that gives it the next level. Now, some of you are, are on uh, low-sodium diet, so ignore this thing that I'm about to tell you. It's like your food without salt. There's that little bit that it just takes you to the next level. You get the mashed potatoes, you know, and they're beautiful, and they've been just mashed perfectly. They're not all lumpy and bumpy, and they, but they're just smooth, and they put them on your plate, and you stick in your fork, and you take that first bite, and it's like, oh. Where's the salt shaker? Is there any butter or gravy or anything I can put in here to kind of add a little bit to my starch, right? I love my mashed potatoes, but they need a little something to 
help them out. You know, that's the idea. You can't even grasp the joy God is desiring for you to have without that connection, without that relationship. Your food will be more bland. Your days will be more bland. Your life will be more bland. Your experience will be joyless in the deepest manner. Matthew chapter 6, 34, Jesus says something similar. In describing our worry and about our, our life, he says, Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Have you heard about ISIS on the radio? Horrible. Are you worried? A little bit. Wondering what's going to happen? Wondering if they're going to get their hands on a nuclear weapon or something crazy like that? Wondering what's going on with that? Here's the deal. If this is the beginning of the end, the end is good news. Are you clear on that? If this is the beginning of the end, if we are marching to the last ticks on earth's clock and Jesus is going to show up in the heavens, Jesus is going to suddenly appear. That, too, is good news. Now, I'm not praying for ISIS to take over things and keep killing people and keep destroying. I think they're a horrible group. You know what I've been praying for? Their conversion. It would be crazy, wouldn't it? And we can pray for their death. We can pray for a lot of things. But the most powerful testimony of God's power would be if the whole group suddenly saw Jesus and went, uh-oh, wrong team. <laughs> right? Pray for the protection of the people who are coming under these crazy uh, behaviors, these crazy de- ideas. Pray for the conversion of these leaders. Pray for, pray, Pray that God steps in and changes the direction of this whole mess. You see, we have a broader horizon when we see that God is on his throne. We can step back and recognize that the world will come to an end one day, but that's not bad news. Everybody gets on the news and they say, oh, it's terrible. The ice is melting. We're all going to drown. New York's going to be underwater. Well, that may not be such a bad thing, but... All these doom and gloom, end of the world. Everybody's doom and gloom about the end of the world. End of world, good idea. End of world, end of sin, good idea. Jesus says, I don't want you to worry so much. There's enough trouble in each day. In his own way, he's saying, deal with today only. Seize today, live today. Now is the only time you have. Yesterday is a mirage. Tomorrow is a hope. Today is all you have. The moment you have is this one. Be present. Live it. Enjoy it. Express it. Irma Bombeck said it this way. That great, deep, wise theologian. Seize the moment. Remember all those women on the Titanic who waved off the dessert cart? Life is uncertain. Eat dessert first. Live your life. Quit worrying about what you did yesterday. Apologize. Move on. Pray for forgiveness. Ask God to intercede for you and move to the next day. Move into today. Live the experience you're having now. That's been the, the word from Solomon over and over again. This is, this is foolishness. This is futility. This is worthless. Live today. 
Live your life. Enjoy your food. Enjoy your kids. Enjoy your spouse. Enjoy the people around you. He is really calling us to a broad step back. Look at the world. Recognize God has you in the palm of his hand and enjoy the day he's given you. We talk about spiritual joy in this in this uh, world as an odd thing, don't we? We talk about people, you know, I went to someone's hospital bed and there they were. They were sick and they were tired and they were feeling pain and it was just this hot, horrible time. But they had a smile on their face. Nurses talk about it. They talk about how people who have a true relationship with God, when you walk into their to their hospital room, it's different. When you walk into their to that deathbed, they know that they have hours left. And they're praying for the people around them. They're reaching out to love and love on and care for the people around them. Why? Because the end is not the end for them. Because there's a different definition for them. Jesus has them in their hand. Their eternity is, in, is totally secure. This moment, this life may be gone, but the next is in God's hand. Their eternity is secure. You can close your eyes and rest in Jesus. Because he's got you. The purpose of life is to live. Just let it sink in a minute because most of us, I didn't say most of us, a lot of us spend our time in life wishing. It would be like the purpose of life is to wish. Every commercial on your television is based on that idea that you're not going to be satisfied with what you have now. You'll want something else. You'll want something bigger, better, smarter, faster. And you do, right? The new iPhone came out. How, how many people in this world threw away a perfectly good iPhone 5 so that they could have the iPhone 6? Don't raise your hands. I used to love my little flip phone. It was so awesome. It fit in my pocket. I held on to that thing until people made me get a phone that was smarter. So that they could get in contact with me when I didn't want to be contacted. So that they could email me in the middle of the night. Please stop emailing me in the middle of the night. My phone goes beep. I need to put it on that, whatever that, what's that mode where it sleeps at night? Do not disturb, off, somebody said off. Off. <laughs> we trade in the perfectly working item for the thing that we think is better. And so often we find out it's not. The purpose of life is to live, to taste, to experience the utmost, to reach out eagerly and without fear for newer and richer experience. You know how you reach out for the next, for the newer, for the richer experience? Because you can reach out with this hand because God's holding firmly on that one. Your eternity is secure. You're resting in Jesus. You can grab the gusto then for sure. That doesn't mean that life is going to be a bowl of cherries for everyone. As Irma Bombach also said, sometimes you just get the pits. But when somebody who follows God is in one of those low moments, somebody who has a true and solid connection. I, I shouldn't say true. I should say solid. Sometimes our connection gets knocked out a little bit on us. It gets a little wobbly. It gets a little loose. When your connection with God is solid and you can stand back and look at the broader horizon of things. This moment, even if it's a difficult one, isn't as difficult. 
because your eternity is secure. God is holding on to you. God is still on his throne and he hasn't given up on you. What is wisdom? Could you take 30 seconds, turn to someone around you and explain this simple term? Seriously, it's okay. Time to talk in church. It's okay. The wise person said, not yet, I'm thinking. So. Somebody talk to Daryl. He's always up there on the front by himself. For given permission to talk, you guys are awfully quiet. This is what our friend Wikipedia says. Wisdom, Sophia, that's the uh, Greek term actually, is the ability to think and act using knowledge, experience, understanding. This next one, common sense and insight. Wisdom is the ability to think and act using knowledge, experience, understanding, common sense, and insight. You know, they talk about wisdom with older people. I, I read this article from the New York Times in researching this, this whole discussion here today. I read this article from the New York Times. It was very heartening to me. It said, older people have a harder time accessing the information that is in their brain. And you already know that's true, right? Those of you who are past about 40, your brain starts to fail you. The filing system doesn't work as well as it used to work. Yeah, Liz, it's coming. (laughs) Up here doubting me right there. This is what they said. It's really not so much that they have slower brain activity. This is good news. It's that they have so much more information. Yes, the over 50 crowd is clapping. It's true. It says, look, the New York Times, of all things, said it's not that you have slower accessibility. It's actually that you have so much more information to go through. It said of the older person, he said a younger person can make judgments faster, can make decisions more quickly. They're bang, 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 bang. He said it's easy because they don't have much information to work with. (laughs) Two plus two is still four. To the 85-year-old, two, two plus two used to be four, but then somebody changed the rules of math. And they're kind of going, well, it used to be four. And their brain's saying, wait, before you answer that question, look the person in the eye and see if there's something going on. Are they trying to mess with you? Hey, Grandpa, how much is two plus two? the answer to this why is he asking that is wisdom that's when the person starts to gather more than just this basic black and white information that's right in front of them when they start to look at a broader horizon when they begin to see things bigger when they begin to understand things more broadly when they start to apply experience and understanding to their knowledge they begin to expand what they think they begin to look at the world is a big package Ecclesiastes chapter 8 This is actually the 
end of the chapter that I want to talk about. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. The end in this chapter, the last two verses, in my search for wisdom and in my observation of people's burdens here on the earth, I discovered that there is ceaseless activity. Some of your Bibles probably say no sleeping day or night. I realize that no one can discover everything God is doing under the sun. Does that sound like wisdom to you? I realized nobody's going to figure out God. It's a simple fact of creatorship. You are the creation. God is the creator. He is God. I am not. Simple fact, simple reality. If he is your creator, you, by subject of having been created, are not going to be able to discover all there is about him. It's a cool search. It's a fun job. It's, a, it's fun to look. But you're never fully going to discover everything there is to know about God. Can you settle that right now? Can you just put that in your brain, lock it down as a fact, and just go? Okay. Okay, this is the accepted fact. Put it in the category of things without question. You are not going to ever figure God out. Because the day you figure God out, guess who gets to be God? You do. Right? And nobody wants that. Including you. I realize that no one can discover everything God is doing under the sun. Not even the wisest people discover everything. No matter what they what? Claim. No matter how many times National Geographic tells you they know, wait a week. They will know something else. Ecclesiastes 8 verse 10. Now, backing up, we're going to pick up the passage above that and work our way down through it. He comes to several issues here and brings them to the forefront, talks to, them, talks to us about them and says, here's how you understand these things. Here's how you deal with these issues that just cause people such burden. I have seen the wicked people buried with honor. Have you ever been that? Ever been to the funeral of a guy you know wasn't a good guy and have the preacher get up and say, you know, Jim had his flaws, but all in all, he was a great guy. You know, he's... He's watching us now. He's saved. He's following God. Have you ever heard that? You ever sat at that funeral going, no, he wasn't? Solomon says there's a bigger picture. He said, wicked people are sometimes given honor. They're buried with honor. People who have done horrible things, given honor. Some of their bodies entombed in glass so you can go look at them as they don't decay. People who have done horrible things, yet they, they were the very ones who frequented the temple and are now praised in the same city where they committed their crimes. Here are these people doing horrible things, but still showing up at church. Whoo, that's a place to fall off. People who are doing horrible things and still showing up at church. So they're going in and out of the church. What does the world see when it sees that? The hypocrisy of it, right? Here's the crazy thing. You may not be intentionally on this list, but somebody knows enough about you to feel like you shouldn't be honored. Right? Somebody knows enough about you to say, uh, you know, there was that time. Yeah, okay, pretty, pretty good record most of the time, but there was that time. That's, it's the person you offended, the person you hurt, the person you did something you wish you hadn't done to. 
It's the human experience. But Solomon is, is, is just beset by the reality that there are people who are openly evil, who are still going to church, and when they get buried, everybody goes, oh, great, oh, yeah, he was wonderful, he was awesome, yeah, and everybody stands up and says, what a great guy. <laughs> And, it, and Solomon hates this idea. And there they are being honored in the same city where they committed their crimes. Solomon says, look, there are bad people doing bad things who get honored, and I don't like it. Is that true of us? It is absolutely true. We look around our world and we go, man, how could, how could they honor that guy? Verse 11. Some people are getting away with things. Does it bug you when people get away with things? It doesn't bug most of you. Just a couple of you learn this. Most of you is like, fine, let them get away with stuff. When crime is not punished quickly, people feel like it's safe to do wrong. We have this... Uh, we have this thing in California where we, wish I, I hate to wander into politics because I always make people mad when I do this, but we have this thing in California where, we, where somebody does something so heinous they get the death penalty, but they never get the death penalty. We, just, we should just stop saying we're going to do it. You ever, like, you ever get away with something? Yeah, yeah. Don't, some of you looked at your spouse. <laughs> Be careful out there. <laughs> Maybe you were looking at your spouse going, never, I never get away with nothing. <laughs> when we get away with something, we have one of two options. We walk away going, yes, I got away with it. I got away with it. That usually means whatever it was wasn't really bad. Or we walk away with this burden on our back because the very act of getting away with us, getting away with it, weighs us down. Solomon is frustrated because some people who are just evil are honored and people get away with stuff without being punished properly or quickly. And he says, when that kind of stuff goes on, other people do wrong. Other people feel like it's okay to do the wrong thing. Can you see this guy who's been this wise king looking down across the world and saying, here are some things that bug me. Here are some things that really bother me. Evil criminals get honored. Bad people get away with stuff. This is not all that's meaningless in our world under the sun. In this life, good people are often treated as though they were wicked. And wicked people are often treated as though they were good. This is so meaningless. Rabbi Kushner wrote a book, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. Now, if you've read Rabbi Kushner's book, you probably don't agree with everything in it. I didn't either. But one of the things he said that really kind of put this thing into the focus for me, one of the things in the book that really, really... His, his theory, his philosophy about bad things happening to good people. He says, 
Many people have a difficult time believing in a good God when they see bad things happening to good people. When we see bad things, when we see the person who has been upright their whole life fall into some misery, we go, how God could you let that happen? Even even people who are not followers of God. In fact, it's one of the most common conversations that I have with people who are not followers of God. It's one of the most common conversations that believers have with people who don't believe in God. They say, look, if God is really good, how did he let X happen to Y? You and I both know that she or he is a great person. Why did this good God, you say, you know, let that horrible thing happen to them? Right? Had that conversation? How do you answer it? Imagine being the preacher and getting that question. We feel like we have to give the proper answer, right? We represent God. So we have to, we have to step up to the answer to that question. You know what the answer is? I don't know. You come into my office with a question like this, you're pretty likely to get an I don't know. I might tell you there are horrible things. We live in the armpit of the universe. Bad stuff happens here. There's no way of defining it. God is not intending that people have bad things happen to them. I might give you a, I might give you a whole study on sin and how, it, how it's overwhelming our world and how awful it is to live in this place. And then we can back up, look at the whole horizon and recognize what God is trying to do here is get us off the planet. Get us out of the mess, not as an individual, but as a whole. But at the end, if you were to say, if you were to press me and say, so why did it happen to her? My answer has to be, I don't know. You see, Solomon's kind of touching at home, isn't he? He's kind of coming into the questions that bother us as believers and as non-believers on the planet. He's coming at us with the things that are hard to deal with. How do bad people, how do evil people end up being honored? How do people, how does God let people get away with stuff? We've, we act like what we would like is for God to sit up on his throne and that when somebody does something particularly heinous, and there would have to be a level of heinousness for this to happen, right? You'd have to have, you know, your grade A, grade B, grade C, grade D. At D, you get zapped. And God sits up on his throne, and when D happens, people just start turning into piles of ashes. You stepped on a D, sorry. E, F, Right? Isn't that what we act like we think should happen? We act like God should be sitting on his throne bringing the justice we think is appropriate. Oh, be careful when you start asking for justice because if somebody turns the justice mirror around, Solomon is saying, I don't understand it. It drives me nuts. It's so meaningless that that evil people are honored, that bad people get away with stuff, that good people have horrible things happen to them. It's awful. It's awful here under the sun. You see, you've got to understand the premise of this book. The premise of this book is that there's a difference when you're living under the sun and under the authority of God. When you're living under the sun, this is the way everything is. And it's impossible for you to understand it because you need divine wisdom to understand it. And you need divine intervention to get that wisdom. If you're not connected with God, all of this is going to make you crazy. 
Now, we do need to bring up one other person, and you've bumped into them. It's the person who thinks they've got it all figured out. They come and they tell you that the, uh, the aliens built the pyramids, that everything that happens here is happening by the, uh, the manipulation of, uh, uh, you know, the Illuminati. Excuse me if I just stepped on your favorite theory. That we're all puppets being forced to do stuff because of this or that or the other thing. That what's happening is we're in a fishbowl and a bunch of aliens are, sw- are, are, are watching us. This is entertainment. It doesn't matter what their explanation is. Outside of God, people try to explain this stuff. And you know what happens when you're walking down that trail with them, right? As they start this explanation, you start to get distracted first. Then you start to get a little creeped out. And then you start looking for a way to get out of this conversation. Solomon is saying, I tried everything I could to understand all these things without God. I tried everything I could to understand the world I live in without God. I tried to live under the sun with my own wisdom, in my own strength, in my own way. I tried, I tried, I tried, I tried, I tried. And I still found out that, that horrible, evil people get honor, that, that people get away with bad things, and that bad things happen to good people. So I recommend. Now, I wish I could, I would have just left this, the text off for the moment. Because after Solomon deals with all these vexing ideas, these difficult things, and he says, I have a recommendation on how you deal with this. Wouldn't it be great to just have a moment to anticipate? I should have left the, the text off the slide. Solomon says, I have a recommendation for you to deal with these horrible things that are going on in our world, to deal with the fact that evil people get honor, that people get away with bad stuff, that bad things happen to good people. I have a recommendation for you. Here's his recommendation. I recommend having fun. This does not sound like deep philosophy from the wise man, the wisest who ever lived. I recommend having fun because there is nothing better for people in the world than to eat and drink and enjoy life. That they, that, that way they will experience what? Some happiness along with all the hard work God gives them under the sun. Now, if you're, if you're, if you're a late arrival to this series, we talked about the fact that God had to give us work under the sun. When the sin, when sin became our problem, we needed the work to survive. We needed to have something to focus our heart and our energy to, to burn off some of the stresses and excesses that we have because we're in a sinful world. But Solomon says, look, I got the answer for you. I have, a, I, I have the, the decision. I, I've, I've thought this through. I've gone both on the side of trying to understand this without God, and I've gone on the side of trying to understand this with God, and after all of my study and, and, and really thinking about when bad things happen to good people, when evil people are honored, when people get away with bad things, I've thought this through, I've really decided, I've really discerned, I've put all my heart and soul into this, and here's what I recommend. Have fun. Enjoy your life. Eat your food with gladness. Embrace your family. Live your days with joy. We kind of started here and we've circled all the way back around. 
Eleanor Roosevelt said, life is to live. The only moment you have is now. And I know I've come back and I've come back and I've come back to this. And the reason I keep coming back to it is because he keeps coming back to it. But I want to go to an understanding of this that I hope, hope elevates it a little bit. That we're not talking about just goofing around. You've done goofing around. Goofing around's okay. Goofing around's all right for a while. But eventually goofing around starts to become meaningless too. We're talking about standing back, taking a look at the broadest piece of the landscape and saying, hmm, if I take everything from the beginning to the end and I look at this moment in all this worry and the stress and frustration that's here, the best advice is to love your family, enjoy your time, find joy in your work when you get that meal don't just rush through it taste it embrace it recognize it as a gift from God verses 12 and 13 even though a person sins a hundred times and he still lives a long time I know that those who fear God are better off The wicked will not prosper, and he means in the end, for they do not fear God. Their days will never grow long like evening shadows. You ever let your your shadow just grow? If you haven't done it, maybe this evening you can catch catch a spot where you can be out from the shadow of houses and trees. Maybe you're going to have to find a, a, a place out in the field somewhere. And as the sun sets, watch your shadow. It just starts to get longer and longer and longer and longer until it disappears beyond your sight. Your shadow goes off into this sort of eternal distance. And Solomon argues that the person who does not know the heart of God and does not follow God will never have the experience of an eternal life. Send back. Look at the broad spectrum of the horizon. Next time you're in one of those funerals, when the preacher gets up and forgive us, we're trying to comfort the people who are present. And sometimes we uh, put a little too much gloss on the person in the box. Okay? So just put that in your knowledge knowledge base and say, okay, we're just going to forgive the preacher because he's trying to help everybody else feel better. But the next time that person who you know to be evil is given an honor. Step back. Look at the horizon. Put all of your your understanding and knowledge into the box and say, oh, there's a beginning and there's an end. And this poor soul has spent all they had. And they've closed their eyes for the last time without Jesus. This is not a place for us to be frustrated or angry or want somebody to describe just how evil this person is. This is a place, a time, and a moment for compassion. To realize this poor soul, for all the evil they may have done, 
close their eyes for the last time today or last week or last month without Jesus. When you can step back and see that bigger picture, it's, it's a lot easier to not let your heart get all caught up in the vexing nature of trying to understand it. Remember the things of God are beyond your understanding. God has made everything beautiful in its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people can't see the whole scope of the work from the beginning to the end. We're never going to fully understand everything that's out there. But if we stand back and recognize that there was a beginning with our Creator and there will be an end and a recreation, the ups and downs of the world we live in need not be so destructive to us. I want you to take something from this today. I'm going to ask you to try to develop a a heart that sees the world differently. I want you to attempt to have that smile on your face when the house is burning down. This is not the goofy smile of somebody who doesn't realize what's going on. Everybody just looks at that and says, what a dummy. This is the smile that says, Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Weeping comes in the night, but joy comes in the morning. This is the joy of a heart whose eternity is secure, who is, a, who is aware that God is faithful, who's read the book and knows that a, a hundred-year-old man and his 99-year-old wife had a baby one day. Whoa, dude, how crazy was that? Good morning. And there he is. You've read the book and you know that sometimes God steps into time and wild stuff happens. And you can grip with your hands of faith the hope that that might happen here. But with the knowledge of of the God who loves you, accept whatever happens here. Be the kind of person that other people come up to and say, why are you so happy? Oh, it's because... I've decided to live my life. I've decided to be present in the things I'm experiencing. I've decided decided that I'm going to taste my food. I'm going to love my wife. I'm going to enjoy my children. I'm going to live. And you plaster that little smile on your face and the joy that is your walk with God begins to creep into everything else. I want to challenge you to be that person in your family, at your work, in the crowd at the grocery store that other people look at and go, what's with her? What does she know? What's he up to? 
Not a creepy smile, please. But the one that flows out of your heart naturally. The joy that has come to you because you've been able to stand back and look at the horizon to the horizon knowing you're in the hands of God. And your eternity is secure. I want to talk to one more group who's always present at church. And this is what I'll wrap up with, I promise. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. Some of you are here today and you've never really figured this piece out. You're struggling with these very, very vexing ideas that, that why does evil triumph? Why does bad happen to good people? And why did it happen to my, and you can fill in the blank, I know you're there. I want you to know that the eternal God has an answer for you. You may not love the answer, but the answer is Him. The answer is in that relationship where you truly feel that you could just lay back and He would catch you. The answer is in the knowledge that He loves you so much that He died for you. We have a term for that in America. We call that being crazy about you. That's how he feels about you. He's crazy about you. If you have not yet done it, I want you to give your trust to him this morning. You don't have to, you don't have to try it for tomorrow. Just try it for today. Try trusting in him with whatever's driving you crazy. Because then you'll be able to rest. Then you'll be able to smile. Then you'll be able to have fun. Then you'll be able to taste your food. Then you'll be able to really be present with your family. You know, Solomon said, I have something to recommend for you. If you are frustrated by all the stuff that goes on in the world, I have something to recommend for you. Learn to enjoy your life as God intended. Because even that comes from Him. Let's pray. Father God, Thank you for this man who is willing to expose his mistakes to us so that we might learn from what he learned. I pray that you would help us to embrace the relationship with you that gives meaning to this world. We have been blessed by good people around us. We have been blessed to wake up this morning. We have been blessed to find a meal on our table. We have been blessed to take that first breath. We have been blessed with so many things that we take for granted. Help us to see them, embrace them, enjoy them, and know that they come from you. Help us to trust you with the things we're not certain about. In Jesus' name, amen.
Our discipleship classes will begin in just a minute. They're throughout the building. Children's classes are down that hallway.